So good morning again. I'd like to first start off um, by taking a moment and just having a moment of silent prayer for Queen Elizabeth, for the repose of her soul. You know, she was not our queen um, because uh, we don't have a queen here in the United States, but among her other titles uh, is Defender of the Faith in the Church of England. And of course, the Church of England is the mother church of, of all Anglicanism. And so I'd like to just uh, take a moment of silent prayer out of respect for her and, and for the repose of her soul. Rest eternal, grant unto her, O Lord, and let light perpetual shine upon her. May her soul and the souls of all the faithful departed, through thy mercy, rest in peace. Amen. In this morning's uh, gospel lesson, we find Jesus traveling along the border between Galilee and Samaria. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and as he approaches this village where ten seriously ill men come out to meet him. Ten men afflicted by the worst disease imaginable in Jesus's day. And, and today you don't really hear much about it, but it was leprosy. Leprosy was an incurable, disgusting, and revolting skin disease. In fact, if you had any kind of a skin disease, um, most likely back then, leprosy, even though it may or may not have been leprosy. Um, that's just the way it was. 2,000 years ago, in the Jewish world, leprosy was considered proof, in fact, that you were the worst kind of sinner. God was really punishing you for something really bad. That was the thought back then. If you had leprosy, you actually watched your body rot away. Your fingers, your ears, your nose, they eventually rotted and dropped off. You died a slow and very painful death, cut off from society and from your family. And the only friends that you had were people just like you because you had to go and live with the other lepers outside of society. Think about that outside of your family, outside of even being able to gather and worship with other members of the community, with other members of the church. In this case, the others were nine others that kept reminding you as you looked at them how really bad you must be. It's these 10 lepers who meet Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Luke tells us that when they met him, they cried out with one voice. They tried to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And they had to cry out with one voice because in order to be heard by Jesus, leprosy, it, it even affects the bronchial tubes that keep, keeps them so dry that their voices were probably harsh and squeaky and weak. So they had to join their voices to cry out to Jesus. If they didn't yell in unison, they had little chance of being heard by the one man who they hoped could ultimately help them. Now they must have known this was their only chance, the only chance to escape the awful consequences of their disease. If Jesus did nothing for them, surely their lives would end in a slow and painful death. But they had hope. And so let's take a minute and talk about what leprosy was like back in those days, 2,000 years ago. If you had leprosy, you were definitely considered a physical outcast, but you were also considered a social outcast. 
You'd have to live apart from the main population, even your own family, so that you wouldn't infect them with this terrible incurable disease. You were required to stay away from all other people except fellow lepers, and you had to make sure that you were off the side of the road at least 16 feet if someone else was on the road. If someone came close to you, you were required to make some kind of noise, to let, yell as best as you could, unclean, unclean, so that the other people around you would know that you were a health hazard. Leprosy was a feared disease because there was no known cure for it. Even 2,000 years ago, people knew that some things were contagious. And so a person with leprosy was ostracized from the community, from family, from friends, from society, until if and when the disorder was cleared up and there was little chance of that. In Jewish society, that alone wasn't enough since any disease was considered at least officially to be a sign of punishment for sin, the affected person had to go to a priest and be declared cured and clean if, in fact, that leprosy was gone. See, the, the priests, they functioned sort of as the community health officers in addition to whatever else they did, um, and they had to give a clean bill of health. And then the person had to go and offer the prescribed offering and the sacrifice, both in atonement for sin and in thanksgiving for the cure. Only after that could that person return to society. And because of this, lepers grouped together for solace and community. In their society, it didn't matter if one was a Jew or a Gentile. Even those despised Samaritans that we read about last Sunday, they were allowed to be part of their sorry community. And so here comes Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. He's actually on his way to his own death. And yet that sobering awareness doesn't prevent him from being compassionate. Doesn't prevent him from stopping and healing others, from teaching others. These episodes provide examples for his followers and as to how they're supposed to behave on, on their own way to death. Do we die well? Our friend Laura, she is dying or has died well. And Pepe spent time with her. She was right with the Lord. She was at peace. So keeping their distance from these other people and clustered together, the 10 lepers had to keep away from from uninfected people for fear that they would not only catch their disease, but their uncleanness. And that is the sin that caused their physical illness. Diseases, just like a violation of the law, made a person considered to be ritually and religiously unclean and, and therefore unfit to go worship God in the assembly. Can you imagine? You're not allowed to come to church now because you're unclean. Anyone who came into contact, and even inadvertently, with an unclean person became unclean himself. This would require undergoing an elaborate ritual of purification. It's most likely the reason the priest and the Levite crossed to the other side of the road to avoid encounter, encountering that beaten man last Sunday in the Gospel lesson, the Good Samaritan. Sometimes family or friends would leave food and clothing in a specific spot so that the leper could go and, and find their care package. But typically, lepers were forced to beg for alms. They had no other means of support. 
In our story, it seems that these lepers were begging Jesus for much more than money or food or clothes. They were begging Jesus for a cure. And so what happens? Jesus, once again, has mercy upon his hurting world. And he tells these lepers, go, show yourselves to the priests. Now, Jesus knew the law and that a mere physical cure wouldn't be enough for these men to return to their families and to the rest of society and to go worship God in the assembly. They would need to meet the law's requirements, clean bill of health by a priest and the offering I talked about before. As the 10 went, they were made clean by the will of Christ. Now, what's interesting here is that normally Jesus would cure on the spot directly and immediately. But these particular cures happened after a delay and at a distance. We're not told how long of a delay or how far of a distance, but we do know that it came to pass as they followed Jesus' instructions to go show themselves to the priest. Their willingness to go to the priest, well, that's a sign that they trusted Jesus and their, that their cure is a sign of their trust's effect. Now, verse 15 says that of the 10 who were healed, only one, a Samaritan, returned to Jesus to offer thanks. It's likely that the Samaritan would have had to go to a Samaritan priest for his clean bill of health first, so that he was certain that he was healed. It's hard to imagine a Jewish priest having anything to do with a Samaritan. The scriptures aren't clear as to whether the realization of his healing came before or after he presented himself to the priest, but the cure was an awakening nevertheless. It's an awakening not only of a physical healing, but also of social and perhaps most importantly, spiritual healing. In this story, Jesus shows us that miracles can and do happen gradually over time and not just instantaneously. The point of the story is that he and only he, the Samaritan, returned to give thanks to the source of the cure, Jesus. The cured man uses his now clear voice, his loud voice, the same voice he used to lament his affliction, not to lament anymore, but to cry for joy, the scriptures tell us, to praise and thank God for his grace. In verse 16, he falls down at Jesus' feet and thanks him. He recognizes Jesus as the agent of God, and he thanks Jesus himself on a very personal level at his feet. Elsewhere in scripture, God the Father is thanked, but here, Jesus, God the Son, is personally thanked. Now, Luke teaches us two things here. First, in thanking Jesus, well, we thank God the Father, for Jesus is God, along with the Holy Spirit. And second, whenever we thank the human agent of God's grace, we should recognize and realize that we are ultimately thanking God. When we thank others for their kindness, and grace, we should realize we're thanking God as well. And so where are these other nine cured Jews? These Jews who should have known better. They failed to apply the same energy and fervor in giving thanks that they did in begging for a miracle. Don't we do that all the time? Something happens in life. It's like a last resort. We have to go to God with our need. Please help. I have nowhere else to turn. 
and we, we focus, and we comes, that prayer comes from our hearts. But how often do we spend thanking God for all the blessings that he showers upon us every single day, every day? Like the nine Jews, don't we all too often forget to thank God after a favor's been granted? The nine Jewish men were obedient to a point, but they failed in the end. Jesus commanded them to go, and they did. They followed his command. But even though he didn't explicitly command them to return and give thanks, the text implies that he expected it, and they failed. Again, Luke wants to teach us that the will of God is much broader than just explicit commands. If a Samaritan, unschooled in Jewish law, can do it, certainly a Jew, with all his benefits of education, can do it, and certainly we can. Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well. Of course, it is Jesus who saves, but not without trusting in him, not without placing your faith in the Son of God. You have to invite him. You have to allow him to come in and change whatever it is that needs to be changed. All 10 lepers had some level of faith. They all obeyed Jesus' word and they journeyed towards their given goal. Perhaps they were disappointed that Jesus didn't answer their prayer right then and there on the spot. But still, they all went off as they were told. And on the way, something happened. At some point, they realized that they were cured. They got what they asked for, and they got what they wanted. They got their clean bill of health. Now they could, and they did, return to human society to live a, a quote, normal life again. And yet, that's all they got. Nothing more. All except one, a Samaritan. He was truly made well. He was clean. He was made whole. My brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus wants to do immensely more for us than cure our physical ills. He wants to give us a relationship with him that will not only last for all eternity, but will give us much more than the average normal life. Today, as 2,000 years ago, 9 out of 10 people are willing to settle for less than that. Like the nine in the gospel lesson, they're only interested in this life, in the comforts and pleasures of life. It would never occur to most people to pray for anything other than the tangible and the visible realities, the only ones that they know, if they pray at all. What the nine received was miraculous. It was good. But the tenth man, the one who was outside of the faith, the one who should not have been cured in the first place, according to the Jews. He was a Samaritan. He's not one of us. He did not stop at the physical change. He went deeper into the reality of his cure, and he found gratitude to be so overwhelming that it motivated his behavior from that moment on. And for you and I, Christian gratitude is responding to life and its challenges in the spirit that life is a gift from God. Like the Samaritan, we too need to return to the source of all God's many blessings. We all need to turn to Jesus and give him thanks over and over and over.
Is the Lord to be outdone by a Samaritan or anyone else in generosity? Gratitude, after all, is what? It's a generous spirit. And so Jesus, having given this man so much already, he gives him even more. The more he received is the same more that we all seek. Jesus gave that man salvation. He calls the man's expression of gratitude faith. Faith is what allows us to have a broader vision that goes way beyond just the physical. Faith enables us to really see into reality, to see life and God's plan for our lives as it really is. Jesus said to him, and he says to us, that faith will give us cures beyond the physical. Our faith has the ability to heal our skin disorders. Perhaps we're too thin-skinned, or perhaps we're too thick-skinned. Perhaps we're too touchy or too sensitive. Or we have a hard heart. Or we're spiritually blind or deaf. Whatever area of spiritual healing that we need, we can have that healing. It can be found in Christ Jesus. Now those other nine men, well, they missed the chance to respond to God's grace. They responded to his command and received what they hoped and asked for, but they merely received the grace of physical healing, and they did not respond to that grace. The Samaritan's example teaches us that conscious thanksgiving Constantly recalling God's blessings and his grace. It's what fuels our faith. It strengthens our faith. Every time we praise God or even thank another person, we should also recognize that we're praising and thanking God through that person or that object or that event, since it's all by God's gracious will that good things happen to us and to others in our world. Jesus cured those 10 lepers long ago, but the story's been preserved for any skin disorder for us that we might have, ranging from being too thick-skinned or too thin-skinned and everything in between. We all have a measure of skin disorder. Only Jesus can cure us. If we ask him to heal us, he will, but we have to trust in his power to do so. We must have faith in him. We must also have patience. We must also remember that Jesus is the source of all of our blessings. And finally, we have to remember that when we thank God and we thank others, we're thanking God through those others. So thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.